Thanks for tuning in on our Canyon Hills San Luis Obispo podcast. Wherever you're tuning in from, we pray you're encouraged by the message. Uh, I'm going to read Luke chapter 19, verse 10. I had you open to verse 15, or chapter 15. You're going to stay there, but I've got to set the precedence before we get to that one, and I'm saving you a step. The Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. This past week, um, and even a little bit, we're going to be finishing the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then moving into the book of Acts in our reading plan, and we're going to begin to see a shift because Jesus will ascend to heaven, the early church will be birthed, and over the remainder of the year, we are going to go through what that looked like, what happened, what it means to us today, but it is imperative, and there is no way that you can preach through the Gospels without talking about what we're going to talk about today. So today, I know I'm fired up over chili. I know I'm fired up over flannels. I know I'm fired up over football. But make no mistake about it, I don't know what that woohoo was in the back. Um, I'm more excited about this because we're going to see the heart of God. I'm telling you, this very thing that we talk about today, this is his number one top priority. So if I get really excited, I need you to get excited. Please don't just stare at me awkwardly. Please feel free if something hits your soul or your spirit, it's okay to say amen in church. Let's practice that. One, two, three. Amen. Amen. It's okay to do that. Like now some of you like don't take that as liberty to get crazy in church because I know how you are. Like, you know, like amen. But like don't start like, you know, if you start getting your hanky out, I might be okay with that. Um, But Let's just be excited about God's word because God's word brings change. Amen? All right. So Luke chapter 19, verse 10 up on the screen. You stay in chapter 15. For the Son of Man, being Jesus, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's read it together out loud. Ready? For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. One more time with some enthusiasm, like you're excited about chili, like I am. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You are not supposed to say this when you preach a message, but I'm going to say it. If you don't hear anything else I say today, let it be the words that you just spoke with enthusiasm out of your mouth. Change your life. Let it change the way that you live your Christianity. Let it be the mission that you have every single day when you wake up, which is the mission of why Jesus came, to seek and to save that which was lost. Today, if you're taking notes, I wanna speak to you from the subject of top of the list. Top of the list, let's pray. Father, help in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. You may, be, you may be seated. All right. So, obvious question. Obvious. Have you, <laughs> I know I'm going, this is good. Have you ever lost something that was of very high significance in your life? Of high importance in your life? Okay, cool. Some of you are like, yep, done that. Uh, perfect example. Show of hands. You've lost your wallet. Would you just raise your hand? Wow, some of you have not. Man, my goal is to be like you when I grow up. Um, Have you ever lost the keys to your car? Anybody? Show of hands, keys to your car. Okay. This next one might be crazy, but it's probably happened. Have you ever lost one of your children? Ah, honest people in the group. Can we give it up for those in the group? Yeah. Some of you are like, I'm not applauding that. Um, Okay, so true story, true story. 
Vanessa, not me, Vanessa. She didn't intentionally lose a child. Hi, hi babe, how you doing? <laughs> so long story short, I'll make it very short. I know, I got my eye on you too. See, that's what happens when you put the service out in the lobby. She can hear everything. She's everywhere. Um, we, we had just adopted a little girl. We had just been placed with a little girl for a time being. And her and Jacob and Vanessa, they went to Target. And within the first couple of minutes, uh, Jacob and the new addition to our house for just a few short weeks uh, decided that they knew how to walk around Target without parent supervision. So imagine you're trying to adopt and the very little girl who got placed inside of your home has gone missing with your eight-year-old son. <laughs> not good. Um, we've all lost something, right? Something that's important. It may not be a wallet, keys. Hopefully it's never a child. You don't want to lose a child. It's pretty serious. But we've all lost something. And we all probably know that feeling that we have or those feelings that it creates when we lose something. If we, if we can't find our car keys, we're now late to work, so then we get a little bit anxious about it, or we might get a little bit chippy at someone who's like, hey, you lost your keys? It's like, what do you think? You know, you ever done that before? Um, or like, it just, it has a way to like set your day back when you lose your wallet. Now, it's kind of easier nowadays. Most people don't carry cash. Um, it's easy to call and just freeze all your cards, but it's pretty inconvenient, right? It just, doesn't, it just makes things a little bit more difficult as if we already don't have a lot of things going on. I know that from experience. My wallet was stolen out of my vehicle. Yes, I left it in my truck overnight. I didn't mean to. It happened, but it happened. And honestly, it was more inconvenient than anything, which then made it irritating, which then made me irritable. Am I the only one who's ever felt that way before? When you lose something, trying to drive a point home here, when you lose something, it, it changes things around you and in you. Now, on a much higher scale, if I'm God, and I'm not, aren't you glad I'm not, and aren't you glad you're not? That's a big job right there, big task. So I saw when people say, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to give God a piece of my mind. You better check yourself if that's your attitude when you get to heaven. <laughs> Anyways, um, but it changes this idea how we feel about something that we lose, which is minimal, no big deal. But imagine God saying that the top priority for me is when a son or a daughter is lost. It's a priority to God. Let me read Luke 19, 10 again. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save. You don't have to seek if you're missing something. But God says, I sent my son Jesus to seek, but then not only find, but then to save. So there's a seeking, and there's a saving, and it's speaking to lost people. So we know the reason why Jesus came was not so we could just have a church, although it's important. Jesus didn't just come so we could get a prayer life, although it is important. Jesus' number one mission in coming to this earth was to seek and to save that which was lost. It was God's top priority. And if it's God's top priority, then it should be our top priority. It should be something that we think about. It should be a mission that we have. Listen very carefully. If all we're supposed to do as believers is focus on our YouVersion Devotion Bible app in the morning, hanging out with some people, eating some chili, going to church, praying, if that's the only thing that we're supposed to do, how many of you guys know it's not going to make a very big impression on this earth? 
One person said this. They said the church is the hope of the world. I disagree. You've heard me say this. I disagree with that statement. The local church is not the hope of the world. The local church mobilized is the hope of the world. But if you're not mobilized, if you're not on mission, if you don't have something to live for every single day as a church and as a human being that gets you excited, that gets you in prayer, that gets you weeping over broken people, we have missed the point and missed the fact of why Jesus came. Please don't get quiet on me. He came for that. So if Jesus comes for that, if everything that Jesus did centered around this idea of seeking and saving the lost, then we've got something to do. It's a priority. Now, there are different kinds of lost people. Have you, have you noticed that? If you, if you haven't been raised in church, what we mean by lost people is they're not Christians. They're not believers. So when you see lost, that's what's being said here. Always got to keep in mind, maybe someone's here new in the faith or new in church, and sometimes our church lingo doesn't quite match up. When they're saying lost, it's a person who's not a Christian, a believer. So there's, there's different categories of lost. There's those that have never known Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Did you know that? Of course you did. You're smart. Let's make it more personal. There's people all, all, all along the Central Coast that have never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of their life. Gives the church a mission. Gives you a mission. Then there are people who have, for some reason or another, They've lost their way. They've backslidden away from God. God was priority, and then God became secondary. Most of the time, if I'm being straight and honest, which you know I love to, it's because they made the things of God too casual, and they slowly slipped. We're, we're going to read about that today. But then there are people who are just in complete rebellion to God. They want nothing to do with God. You know how you spot them? The minute you talk about God, they get very angry. And what they, what they don't realize what they're saying sometimes, sometimes it's misinformation. They've seen what a Christian looks like maybe from television or, or a family member who kind of abused it a little bit. So they go, ah, oh, you guys are all the same way. That's not the truth. But they rebel against God because maybe they've seen an example that isn't quite worthy enough. But then there are those, their mission is to discredit the church. Oh man, if you serve God, if you serve Jesus, man, what a crutch that is, man. You ever hear that before? Oh, it's just a fallback. There's those that are in complete rebellion against God. Different types of lost people. So with all of those, it's worth noting that God has a heart for every single one of them. And if God has a heart for them, then we should have a heart for them. So Luke 15, what it does that we're getting ready to read is it shows how God feels about lost people. Shows three different scenarios. If you, if you read it this week, you'll know it was in Luke 15. Let me start the story. Then it says in verse 1, then all the tax collectors and the sinners. I love that. Tax collectors, very despised. Sinners, very despised. Who are they drawing near to? Jesus. Let it be said of my life that sinners want to draw near to me. Not because I'm a big deal, but because of Jesus in me. Let it never be said that I come across as too holy, too indignant, or too good for somebody else that they don't want to draw near to me. When you get to that place, it's a very dangerous place. But it says all the tax collectors and the sinners, they drew near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, these are like the religious people. You guys ever met a religious person before? Woo, 
boy. Jesus did too. He had a lot of words for them. They complained. Why are they complaining? Because tax collectors and sinners are sitting with Jesus. They complained about that. I could find a lot of other things to complain about. You know what I mean? A lot. Could you? But they complain about people? This man receives sinners and he eats with them. Now the scenario is going around. Jesus is sitting at a table. Sinners and tax collectors are with him. The religious people, most time pictured in scripture, standing around, possibly in a circle, possibly in a group, shaking their heads, completely indignant that this man who claims to be the son of God would be hanging out with such people. They're frustrated by it. And Jesus knows it. Oh, man. You ever read that, that scripture where it says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, then spoke to them? Oh, man, it's crazy. It's good. Man, it's dangerous. Whether you're saying it or thinking it, Jesus knows exactly what you're thinking, and he for sure knows what you were saying. So Jesus goes on in verse 3. It says, so he spoke this parable to them, saying, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Look at your neighbor and say rejoicing. In other words, joyfully. He takes the sheep, pops it up, and he's happy. And when he comes home, he doesn't just keep it to himself. He calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. He's not just happy in himself. He wants everyone to be happy. Man, this is good. So I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. One soul. Verses 99. Okay, then he continues on. Verse 8. Or what woman... Having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. Notice that word carefully. She carefully begins to look for it. And when she found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together saying, watch here, rejoice with me for I have found the peace which I lost. How many coins does she have at the beginning? Ten. How many sheep at the beginning? One hundred. Very good. Trick question. Almost had you. Then one left and there was 99. Anyways, moving on. Likewise, I say to you, watch here again, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, I'm going to paraphrase the last story. So, MJ, just follow with me real quick. Now, we have the story of the prodigal son. Very familiar story to a lot of people. Son comes to the father and says, Father, here's the deal. I'd like my inheritance. It's time for me to go. I want to go out and live my life. The father grants it to him. Doesn't try to correct him. Doesn't try to talk him down. Simply just says, okay, here's your inheritance. Which, by the way, as we know, if we don't, here's a great little lesson. An inheritance to a son was only given when the father died. So now, keep this in mind when the father says, give me my share. In other words, dad, you're good as dead to me. That's what's being said here. If you're a parent in here, I want you to feel that for a moment. Imagine what you've saved or you have for your children when you pass on. Imagine you've got it right now. 
and your son or your daughter comes to you and they say to you, hey, look, I, I know I should only get this when you pass away, but I've got things I want to do with my life. And so I'm just, I, I, want, it, I want it now. Parents, anybody, feel that for a moment. What would you do in that moment? Would you try to talk them out of it? Would you tell them no? Would you start a dialogue? Would you get some counsel? Like, like when we read these stories in the Bible, like sometimes you've got to put yourself in the place to try to understand what this person would be feeling. Now, because this is a contrast between us and God, God, as you know, does the opposite of what we most of the time do, right? We would say, let's have a conversation. <laughs> let's sit down and talk about this. For some of you, you wouldn't even entertain it with your kids. You'd be like, yeah, right, go to your room or something, right? You wouldn't even entertain it. What is God in this moment? The Father's, the representation of God, in this, there is no trying to talk out of this. He simply gives it to him. The son goes out, lives wild. By the way, it was a far country, wasn't close. He lives wild. He loses it all. He finds himself in a pig pen, comes to his senses, which is a great illustration of what happens when you try to do life on your own. There will come a moment where you will come to your senses and realize without God, this is impossible. Without God, this is not fruitful. Without God, I'm just aimlessly living. I need my father. So he comes to his senses and he goes back home. Get the picture in your mind. The father standing afar out. He's looking out at the horizon when he sees a silhouette of what could be his son. Eventually he realizes it's his son. He runs out to him, hugs him, kisses him, Keep in mind, he's been in a pig pen. He's been gone for a long time. He probably don't smell good. The father just don't care. He wraps him up. He takes him home. And then they throw a party. MJ, if you could go to verse 21. Because this is the part that I love the most. It says, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, we're not going to go back to it. But if you read the story, you know that his explanation is a lot longer than that. He says, I'll go back to my dad and I'll tell him I was wrong. And then I will ask him to be a part of his hired servants. That's the, that's the speech that he made up. Notice here, he doesn't even get to finish the speech. The father interrupts him as if to say, well, I don't really care what you have to say right now. Son, I love you. I want to restore you. So verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf, bring it here and kill it. Let us eat, let us be merry. For this son, or, this, or my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And then I love the end of the verse 24. And they began to be merry. Translation, they were happy, they threw a party. What a story. So what do we have? Okay, here's what we got. We've got three stories, three different things. We've got a lost sheep, we've got a lost coin, and we've got a lost son. Talk about ramping up the story a little bit. Jesus goes from a lost sheep to a coin, but then he ups the stakes. And remember, who's he talking to in the story? The Pharisees, the scribes the religious. Jesus makes this a very personal 
thing to them. But then in every single story, he alludes to this party taking place, this celebration. What's taking place in the parable? Number one, if you're taking notes, let's write this down. Number one, Jesus is showing us his heart for the lost. That's the very first thing taking place in this parable. Jesus is trying to show these people, and he's even teaching those around him as well. It's not just just a lesson for the Pharisees and the scribes. There's a whole audience there. Jesus is a rabbi. He's a, he's a teacher. So everyone around him is learning what God feels about lost people. They're getting an education. So he talks about this, this sheep. Now, what you have to keep in mind is most sheep don't get lost intentionally. They just kind of wander off. They're nibbling away at life. They're wandering off. And then the next thing you know, they're just, they're just lost. Now notice in the story, Jesus didn't say that the shepherd got upset and mad and said, well, you know what? This sheep, it deserves to be lost. It's their fault. The shepherd doesn't get mad and say, hey, you know what? One sheep, no big deal. No, 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 no. This one sheep mattered so much that the shepherd left 99 of them in search of one. That's how much the one, it mattered. Now, sheep, if they wandered off and got lost, most of the time, out of fear, out of confusion, they would not find their way back to the flock. They would actually lie down, and there they would die. Did you know that? So think of the urgency now of this shepherd who's missing a sheep. He knows the sheep's probably not going to wander back, so he makes it his mission, his goal, to go out and find this sheep because this sheep is probably confused and fearful and doubting or possibly laying down waiting to die. That is like literally the state of human beings in relation to the Father. When we step away from the Father and we separate and we wander off in life and we get busy doing this and busy doing that and all this stuff going here and life begins to come in, we get fearful. We get confused. And what I love about this story is this. There is not a God up in heaven saying, I told you not to do that. You knew better. How many more times do I have to bail you out? That's the picture we have, though, where we deserve what we get. Man, because of the blood of Jesus and only Jesus, aren't you thankful that you don't get what you deserve? So think of this. The sheep is lying on the ground. The shepherd is in desperation. I've got to find my sheep because they're confused and hurting. That is God's heart towards us. That is God's heart towards a lost and dying generation. God weeps over the broken. And so should we. Remember, the title of the message is his top priority. So we have the, the lost sheep. The kingdom of God really grows one soul at a time. Just one. Look at your neighbor and say, just one. Just one. Now Jesus tells the story of a lost coin. Now let me make sense of this. Great teaching moment. It's most likely referring to a woman's bridal headpiece, okay? And what they would do is they would take these coins and they would stick them in this thing. You ladies have lots of things. 
I know this because my wife gets most of the closet. She's in the lobby. I shouldn't have said that. She's watching. Hi, babe. Um, and, and the vanity and all the drawers in the restroom, they're all hers for all this stuff that you ladies have. All of it. Thank you, Omar. God, always all preach. I'm like, my man. He kind of stood a little bit quiet, though, so I don't know if you need to get more boldness in that. But So historians, t- they tell us that it was the common custom. So it would be the equivalent today of a, of a woman here of you losing your wedding ring. That's the equivalent of this lost coin. Would you say that has value? So, <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, it does. So she lights a lamp, she gets a broom, and she sweeps, and she sweeps, and she searches, and she searches. Notice, she's not passive about it. She's not half-hearted about it. She's doing everything she can to find this coin. Remember, it says she searches carefully. In other words, I know I'm trying to paint some pictures today. I don't, don't go this slow on a, on a passage, but I want you to see this. Every nook and cranny, she's searching for this. Every cushion's coming up. Every bench is being moved. Every watering, water pot or thing in that house, I don't, I don't know, water pots, they're all moving. Maybe if we read into the story, She's got the whole house maybe looking for it. You guys know like when mama loses something, she wants to find it. You're all getting involved. All of you. She's searching and she's searching. She's she's not passive about this. There's a tenacity. In other words, not finding it's not an option. We're going to find this. As believers to a lost and dying world, we have to have that type of tenacity that says we will search and we will search and we will search to help bring people to Jesus. All right, then lastly, of course, we have the son. Son gets distracted. Life picks up, wants things, but he comes to his senses. Now, the illustration I want you to get with this one is the heart of the father probably walking out to the end of that dusty road every single day, wondering if today is the day that my son's coming home. This this part of the story illustrates a father who has patience, but yet still faith and trust. The book of Acts refers to that As we begin to call on the name of the Lord, it says us and our whole household shall be saved. It's a promise that we have. If you're here today and you have a wayward son or daughter, but you're a believer confessing Christ as Lord and Savior, there's a promise for you to hold on to. But sometimes you're going to have to be patient, but your eyes open. I love the illustration of this dad who would walk out every single day hoping today was the day that my son comes. And of course, the day comes that he will. Now, the common thread that we find in all three of these stories is that God was concerned enough for the shepherd to make an all-out search for the lost sheep. 
He was concerned enough for the woman to turn her house upside down, searching diligently until she found the coin. And God was concerned enough for the father to scan the horizon for his son to return. What is Jesus saying? He's saying what we've been saying this whole time. God's heart is for lost people. That's his top priority. I'm I'm coming at you in many different ways, but that's really the big idea. Whether it's a sheep or a coin or a son, God wants the lost. That's his number one priority. The second thing is this, and this is dangerous, but it's true. The second thing this parable is showing us is Jesus is showing us how completely out of touch religious people can be from the priority of God. Now this one stings. This one stings real hard. Now if you're here this morning and you've got a critical spirit about how the church isn't doing what it should be doing, I'm going to say this respectfully, you need to check your heart. Now this is tough for me to say, but I'm going to say it because this is where dangerous stuff comes. When you spend time smacking around the bride of Christ known as the church for what they're not doing, you're in dangerous territory. I'll go go as far to say this. Remember how I told you I was going to get a little bit passionate? This might be that moment. And most of the time when I get this straightforward, I usually get a lot of compliments. I don't do it for that reason, but I also get some emails and I'm okay with all of it. When you make a statement that the church isn't doing what it should be doing, you have no idea. Can you honestly say that the church of Jesus Christ nationally and globally isn't doing what it should be doing? You don't know enough to make that statement. Am I true or false? So why do we sit around and pick at churches and ministries who aren't doing what you want them to do? Saying, well, they're just, they're just missing the mark. They don't have a heart. They don't care about lost people. No, what you're really saying is you don't care about my ministry. Ooh, got quiet. Make no mistake about it, this is the local church full of people. You're all here. Hi. And you online. Hello. And God is in control of the seasons of that local church. Okay, that wasn't how I thought I was going to go. I like it better the way we're doing it than the way you're not doing it. Don't worry, I don't need applause. But what people do, religious people, is they sit back and they're not doing anything. They just want to call everybody out because they don't think the way they think. And what they don't realize is they have just become the same people that Jesus had to deal with in this story. Can we just give the local church the benefit of the doubt, nationwide, globally, that they are doing the best they can with what they have in all the ways they can? Can we just do that? Can we be believers of people that believe the best in people and not the worst? 
You say, but pastor, I know what goes on behind the scenes. Maybe you do. But I don't see anywhere in scripture where making that the highlight goes beyond what the church is trying to do. I see love lost people. If you can't love lost people, then you're missing the priority of God. So I would say respectfully, stop talking. Because your program or what you think will be the answer to something might be a really good idea, it might be out of season, or God maybe doesn't have it working out because you got some stuff you need to fix in your life. And maybe you're not getting to that place because you won't deal with that. You wanna know why a lot of people don't succeed? Because if they tasted success, their character could not keep them. So what happens is, is God promote me, God promote me, God promote me, but behind the scenes, You've got character flaws that you are willingly not dealing with. So what happens now is because you won't deal with this, but you won't tell anybody that, you'll then go off and you'll say, but hey, I want to do A, B, C, and D. And you wonder why they're not buying into your idea. Could it just be that the Holy Spirit is telling them no? Man, I know this is so hard. I didn't intend to get here. It just happened. I'm telling you. This right here, point number two, Jesus is showing how completely out of touch religious people can be, is why people miss out on the heart of God. Because they hear believers and Christians bad-mouthing the church most of the time, not while they're in church, most of the time right here on their social media or their keyboard warrior status on their computer, but never saying pastor, leader, worship leader. Can we... Can we talk? I've got some questions. And what we do is we beat the church up. And this is what breaks my heart. And then we wonder, then we wonder why the church isn't making an impact. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. John 3, very good. What's 17 say? Let me tell you. For God did not send his son into the world. If I had a mic in my hand, I would just drop it, but it's on my face. So that would be weird. What's that word say? Condemn. I know, <laughs> I know that this could be hard for a lot of people to receive. But what I'm trying to convey in my heart is that we would have the right heart towards the local church and stop picking on people. Does that make sense? Amen. Nate, as you come, shooting straight. What's the priority? The priority, lost people. I love what Elton Trueblood said. What a name, by the way. Trueblood. That's a guy I wouldn't want to play on a football field. He would be on the Raiders, though. Make no mistake about it. <laughs> Evangelism occurs when Christians are so ignited by their contact with Christ that they, in turn, set others on fire. 
It is easy to determine when something is aflame. It ignites other material. Any fire that does not spread will eventually go out. A church without evangelism is a contradiction in terms. Just as fire that does not burn is a contradiction. Man. I read that earlier this week. I was like, I should just get up, make that quote, and just walk off the stage. Like one minute into the message. Like, done for the day. Think about that. Really good, right? It's powerful. Because, because here's the deal. If God has really saved you, and he has, don't let the devil try to fool you on that one. If, you're, if you are 100% diligently giving God your very best, you're on fire for Jesus. And here's the reality. When you are, it spreads. Think about this in the negative, right? Have you noticed if you're kind of down and negative, it kind of gets on other people? Sure, we get that. You ever been in a room where everybody's like really having a good time, but that one negative person walks into the room and the whole atmosphere changes? Okay, so you get it. Like how we are, it kind of rubs off on people. It just, it, it happens. Gehrig's over here. I've known Gehrig now for, man, five years, maybe. By the way, in case you're wondering, it was roughly a little over five years ago that we sat inside the fire room and had that talk because it came up on my stories as a memory. It was really cool. You get around this guy, you could talk about anything. He could be talking about anything. It doesn't matter what it is. And he's so excited about it, I get excited about it. You ever been around those personalities? Like when they have it, it just kind of goes off on you? Yes? No? Maybe? As believers, we should be so in love with Jesus that it just spreads on its own. Some of you are like, I don't know how to lead a person to Christ. We could teach you how to do that. But you know where it starts? Being a person of Christ who has joy, unspeakable, who loves life. Yes, go through stuff, but still have the joy. I think what that quote is saying is like, hey, who you are rubs off on other people. So we know this to be true. Lastly, okay, what is happening in this parable? <laughs> Jesus is making sure that we are clear about what brings rejoicing in heaven. Remember, three times. Through a party, through a party, through a party. Had a good old time. When they threw the party, they got a bunch of people around, and they said, okay, this one sinner is getting saved, and we're going to throw a party. Bring all the chili you can bring. Just bring it. Bring cornbread, bring... Really excited about what's going on out there. But this person's going to come to salvation through Jesus Christ. And, and when they do, we're going to throw a party. Jesus is saying three different times, happy party, happy party, happy party. When a person comes to Christ, throw a party. Be full of joy. Come on, come on, let's be real. This home or this place, this, this earth, it's not our home. Heaven's our home. So if heaven is real, hell's real. Shouldn't that concern us a little bit? Shouldn't that put a fire under us to say, oh, I know I'm making heaven. You can be confident of that, by the way. I know Christians who aren't confident they'll make heaven. Where did you learn that? When you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and submit your life to him, heaven's your home. 
but pastor, I sinned. God's not Santa Claus. Good list, ah, bad list. Okay, now if you didn't do anything good and you died over here on this side, it's over for you. That's not God. That would be a mean God if it was. You're going to heaven, people. We're all going to heaven. But if that's a reality, so is hell. That's eternity without God. Can I be personal? That's your family and your friends. That's the people you work with. There is a possibility that if they do not make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of their life, they will die and spend an eternity in hell with God screaming at them the whole time, I love you. Do you get that? Can you feel the weight of that? Feel it. Man, that's heavy. I've got family members who are in the backslidden state. And if they don't turn their life back to Christ, guys, it's a reality. They'll die and go to hell. So what does that tell me? I've still got a mission. I've still got purpose. My purpose is to be on fire for Jesus, in love with Jesus and the things of God. It makes a huge difference. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to connect with us, text CONNECT to 805-321-1357 or visit us at slow.canyonhills.com. Until next time, have a great day and be encouraged that God is with you and for you.